0: I think it's worth talking about trends, actually. It's it's very good that you brought that up. Is that, um, that to me, I I don't really like the word trend. For me, there are established and emerging visual languages, right? Uh, New new or reconfigured ways of communicating with people. So uh, something emerges in a very specific location Uh, design studio hits upon an idea, and usually that idea is 90% history and 10% innovation. And usually you get that because um, if you take, for instance, the uh, DIA, uh, the design studio in New York, is they brought together what you might call like a a Swiss international style from the mid-century, and they applied uh, um, processing and uh, motion and s- screen technologies and interaction technologies uh, and created something new. And I think that that, that is this really exciting uh, reminder to designers that the, this fusion of ideas uh, can produce something really new and exciting and that it's only 10% away. You just need to be able to link things. And that's where observation is so important for designers. You have to be able to pick up on something that's emerging and take everything that you've learned before and apply that, and you get something beautiful, like Deer have done. What then happens is that uh, other designers see that and they apply it to new contexts. Now, sometimes uh, in an emerging visual language, it it requires meaning. Um, But then when it's applied into situations where that meaning is uh, irrelevant that's when it's a trend right you take something that had meaning uh had um visibility and proven track record in a certain industry or whatever and you apply it to something else and you remove anything of meaning in it yeah it's i mean where, that's a trend
1: it's where the visual the visual trend doesn't connect to the concept of the idea that's that's when the the or the or the client right oh yeah or the client yeah it's where the, that's where the trend is a is a bad thing and
0: uh, and and that's the beauty of Deer's work is that it's so um, identifiable uh, that you can see when it's when someone has taken that and applied it, something that makes no sense whatsoever. Um, I can. Well, what's quite interesting with Deer is they're they're taking it further and they're, they're doing um, like educational programs and experimentation and they're really they're not they they're not leaning on it as a crutch. They're trying to explore its potential. And they, I'm sure other people were doing it before then, but they, they sort of uh, made it their thing and, and they're trying to push it forward. And it's part of the, the conversation about driving the industry forward. I think that's great. But it has this sort of saturation where the more people that uh, apply it to inappropriate contexts, the more they diminish the potential of its visual language to culture in general. Uh, moving forward and as things happen quicker and quicker as a more rebranding that happens more f- frequently as more people enter the Industry as everyone is fighting for tenders and contracts um, They're going to say look at this look at the Squarespace visual identity We're going to apply that look at the Airbnb Identity we will apply that because it's an easier sell right to clients that, that it has worked in this industry. Let's apply it to that but then we just don't have anything left, right? Then there is no meaning because it's being applied to everything. Um, and it just takes, it, It's that's where it becomes like, it's cyclical. We hit an, a point in our age where it, it's now very, very observable. Um, so it, you still need technology and culture creators to keep introducing new ideas to stop it being like an Ouroboros, where the snake just continually consumes itself.
1: You've just got to be careful that you don't take those trends and just and try and kind of just apply it for Exploit no Exploit it. Yeah, apply it for no reason. Or you've got to be careful that you're not one of those designers where you're looking at inspiration websites. I need to make a website and I, I need to make, I don't know, um, a website for a spa, for example. So I'll go and look at 50 spa websites and then all of a sudden the website that you make after that is going to be inevitably an amalgamation of all 50 ideas that you've just seen. And, th- and that's where that idea of it finding inspiration from all kinds of different places really comes into, into fruition as a designer. When we we're talking about reading widely and looking at psychology and looking at everything else and go, going to art galleries and looking at things and studying other different visual communication methods other things that are not just design, it's, I I, th- I think it's, I think it's a bit lazy to some, to some extent, if you're just, for example, wanting to make a new business card, and then you just go look at 50 business cards, and then go, oh, well, I, I really like that, because you're almost setting yourself up for a trap there, you are inevitably going to make something that you've seen, and I've done it before, I, I've done it a million times before, and you, you start making ideas, and you're you're drawing ideas down and you go, I'm sure I've seen that somewhere. I'm sure I've seen it. And then a couple of days later, you come back to it and you go, oh, no. I remember. I remember where I've seen it. And you go see it and you've accidentally created something that's identical to what somebody else has done. So you've got to be careful with trends. They're important. I think George, George Lois said it best. Trends are traps. Um, The iconic ad man George Lois who's was done, well, not just ad man. he was a graphic designer as well. And a lot of his stuff that he did was fantastic. And he, he, he always fought against trends.
0: It's definitely worth delineating between um, a trend and an established visual language that you can use in order to communicate with people. It's like, if you're communicating with people who are English, you're going to use the English language. If you're going to communicate with uh, someone from Japan, you're going to use the Japanese language. There's no point um stopping yourself from using something that is the most effective way and by saying something is a trend you you sort of preclude it from you so you're saying that if you're a, if you're a, a designer with credibility you will not use trends whereas it's it's like a visual language that you can use to help communicate and this is where it's worth remembering that that 10% where It can be frightening trying to create something new because you're not going to be able to do it. But if you think all I have to do is insert 10% or 20% that feels new and unusual and memorable and distinct to the brand, and then found that on something that is proven, like using English to communicate with English people, um, it becomes less frightening. And that's where being able to read outside of design, that's where you're going to find your 10, 20% of new ideas and just give it that and i i I keep on using logo archive as the basic sort of uh, expression of that is it's a logo book they're ubiquitous and then there are zines which are these niche things that have not been particularly they're always uh, of a particular aesthetic i just fuse the two bump the material quality of a zine It's not new, I just put a 10% twist on what has come before, and it feels new. It changes the relationship or the conversation that we're having about mid-century symbols. It's not new, it's 10% new. Um, And it's just, that's what I want young designers to sort of understand is that you don't need to get, you, you just need to find that little extra bit that is gonna lend, Um, a bit more distinctive weight and and strategic viability to your to your clients you you don't need to be reinventing the wheel here
1: yeah I think that's a really important point because when I first started as a designer I don't know if you felt the same but when I first started I used to want to be original on everything that I did I had this kind of almost a rebellious attitude that I wanted to make the next thing that had never been made before and it, it really hampered things that I was making in terms of creativity because I'd given myself such a challenge to try and make something that was completely new that I'd never ever seen before. New, new ways of looking at things, new ways of navigating, new ways of everything that you just, you, you put this impossible challenge in front of yourself to actually achieve. I I think another, another word as well that helps, um, is user conventions. So when when you're thinking about web design, uh, UI design and things like that, it's not mixing up the trends with the user conventions. Uh, and that can be applied to design too. There's certain ways that people consume stuff, there's certain things that people expect to be in certain places on certain so pe- principles, right? Like yeah.
0: hierarchy.
1: <laughs> yeah, hi- hierarchy, but also some other things too. For example, you you expect the front cover of a magazine to actually be a front cover of a magazine. Um, you wouldn't put the front cover on the back page unless you wanted to mess about with the, the formula of how a magazine works. So there's, there's certain user conventions as well, things that people expect of pieces of design work, which you can play with to change how the relationship works. But you can also ad- enhance your communication of a design piece by just putting things where people expect them. And, and, and I struggled with that a lot when I first started doing stuff and I'm like well I don't want to put it there I want to, I want to be different I want to put it in some other place and then you realize that nobody gets it because it's just this idea that you've got in your own head and you'd have to explain that idea to three million people for them to actually understand what you actually meant by doing it. So it is, it is a really good point about trends it's, it's a tough it's a tough balance to be honest and I still struggle with it now, the the balance between originality and following a trend and also using user conventions and sitting somewhere in between all of those things to produce something that feels new, which is different, but not too different. And you've got all these kind of things swimming around your head when you're trying to make something. I'm always thinking, have I seen this before? Where have I seen this before? Um, and trying to be careful not to copy somebody too much and just do the 10% thing, like you said, it is, it's a tough challenge.
0: Even even if you were to try and copy somebody, um, it's very actually, if you take your your content and apply a style from a uh, different context, it's always going to be different to some degree, right? You can't exactly replicate that. Um, it just has to be founded on some kind of, um uh, uh, framework that that gives gives the work credibility in the sense that it it will work better than what what they the client had before, right? Is that and I think this is really just like going back to like the uh Swiss international style is that there's there's a beauty uh to a lot of the work there's a clarity and immediacy to the communication but there's always within that framework Something very beautiful and original that came from it—the um, Swiss grids and guides, the amount of things that came from the mid-century that was founded on that kind of modernist principle. Um, there's so much variation from that, right? That uh, I think that the, there are some crucial principles that are worth understanding, and yes, playing with 10% every so often, in, in, and 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 you will create something. That feels new um, and, and and functions,
1: right? Yeah, one of the things I realized after a couple of years of trying to be a rebellious designer and trying desperately to make original stuff was that I, I had to remind myself that it is a service industry that we're working in and I'm actually trying to do a good job for the client and doing a good job is good enough if it does take, take their business from having a really crappy logo to a logo that looks beautiful and that is serviceable and that is the level that you need to get to and I, I, we sometimes sometimes struggle as, especially as a young designer I struggled with it to know when the good enough line was hit to not continue past the good enough line not spend another three weeks on it. thinking I can make this a bit better I can do something a bit better with this and just understanding no it is it is good enough this is good enough for them and that's not, that's not meaning that you stop at a point where it could be better. It's just meaning that you, you don't waste any more time, you know, when your level is hit and this is good enough for the client. This is good enough for the industry. And th- this is respectable because that's the only way you can actually do the job and and not be struggling with a uh, kind of an attitude of perfection all the time. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I can't even remember how, how I, I looked at things in the past now. Um, <laughs> I, I, I know that um, when I'm going too far now and I have to draw the line, it's, it's, it's a lot easier for me to do that with client work and a lot harder to do for my own work. And um,
1: Yeah, I've never st- understood having, why. I've never understood that relationship.
0: Yeah, and I'm trying to apply a framework to stop myself from Getting lost down a rabbit hole on the zines um, that they are good enough that people like them uh, and that you should do them for as long as people enjoy collecting them um, it, otherwise it, you're going to get lost and you're not going to produce them um, and you and, and you can make it I think a lot of branding now is kind of iterative um, that you have a lot of beta launches or is this is like a web design thing or like soft launches where you can test things, you can A B test things, you can change things on the fly. Um, that you don't necessarily need these. I suppose big corporate rebrands uh still happen, but if you have a look at say the way the media uh demonizes um rebranding exercises, I think the Cadbury one was the latest one we saw, it was um It was a a very significant um, uh, program of redesign that went across all the packaging and all of the infrastructure that is related to that and communicating the key sort of benefits or um, the proposition of Cadbury's. But then you get uh, the Daily Mail that just focuses on the logo and it's like £100,000 for a logo. (laughs) That's where this sort of iterative... Uh, approach rather than the big corporate rebrand launch is almost better because uh you're not dropping these massive um uh, press releases uh that people only read the first page and say oh it's a new logo they don't get to page 10 where they talk about the how it come, how that will provide them with a framework in which to save money uh in the future uh, on packaging or environmental issues um they want the big headlines right
1: I think there's two, two great examples of that, two, two recent ones that I can think of. The, the first one is Facebook. So Facebook are a huge organisation. Um, as an example of their iterative branding process, they've recently started. They kind of made the new Facebook logo, which is essentially just a typeface that's just spaced out. Um, and they started sticking it on the bottom of their apps. Now everything says from Facebook. So now they are Facebook from Facebook and WhatsApp from Facebook and Instagram from Facebook. And they kind of put that out with, with very little fanfare. They did, I think they did a press release and a couple of, I think brand new picked up on it. I think that's where I saw it the first time. But they were kind of very careful to not say, you know, we're rebranding Facebook. In fact, they I think they did say that. I think they said, this is a logo for the group. This is not a logo for actually Facebook. We are not rebranding. So they, they were very very careful with the the new brand that they put out and it's because,
0: because of because there are, there are implications to that right the the yeah. big corporate overlord is slowly taking over all of the things that we love and is going to insert uh sponsored posts and push content that we never asked for i think that probably serves them better to do that than <laughs> to make a big announcement but the point of course still stands is that uh, um
1: yeah. He, even you know when Instagram changed their their app icon that is a rebranding process now and when they change it everybody goes nuts. So and it
0: gets labeled as rebranding, right? Yeah. And that so, that's how uh, a lot of people uh understand design for the first time, right? Yeah. If they they're in reading the paper or uh and their, their politics and their um latest news is right next to design and sensationalist uh interpretations of that um it makes them think that it's smoke and mirrors right that uh, designers are exploiting everybody and whatnot that uh when design is done right or rebranding is done right it's a deeply strategic thing and a lot of it's to do with the uh god how do we deploy this one logo across all of these contexts across all of these digital products how, how do we do that? And how do we manage all of the people that need to do that and um, give them the tools in order to do it? it it's like an infrastructure issue more than a yeah. uh, kind of visual graphic design issue.
1: I think an it- iterative process is good. And the other example is actually um, from the UK's coronavirus stuff. We haven't really mentioned coronavirus in any of these, but th- this this was one that actually really- This is where everyone switches off. Yeah. <laughs> This was the one that actually really interested me. So, on the daily press briefings that they've been doing in the UK, they've had those little banners, haven't they, on the front of the lecterns? And now the little banner has become very, very aggressive and very warning-like and very... It's got the uh, the angled, the chevron-type thing, and it's yellow and black, and it's very angry and very saying stay at home, protect the NHS, and the other words. When they first started... Um, God, how long ago was it now? Two months ago or something. When they first started and they had the message on the lecterns, the message was much, much softer. Um, I can't remember the wording now, but they've changed the wording and the messaging a, f- a couple of times. But as the time period has gone on, and I I'm, I'm meant to keep taking screenshots of it, but I never did. This is the kind of thing you do as a designer, that you notice these things rather than the actual press briefing. As the weeks went on, the messaging and the branding got much more aggressive and much stronger and much bolder. To the point now where they're using almost kind of a, a it looks like a police message basically it looks like a very official very warning message
0: uh, so it, it takes on the qualities of a uh, legislative thing yeah. so like legality it isn't legality right yeah it, so, but it takes on the visual language of, of this is now law or i guess when you start using things like the crown next to it would be the next thing where it's like oh okay so now it's the law that i have to stay at home there are visual things that that can communicate the the urgency of it but also can be used to imply something that isn't actually uh uh, truthful right That, that it's not the law to stay at home but uh, it's, a, it's a recommendation or a suggestion but the, as you said the visual language changes to make it seem like um you have to stay at home yeah it
1: without, was without telling you it was a really interesting iterative design process where they they could have gone very aggressive at, at the beginning but they didn't and I've, i'd suggest that it probably was planned because i know they've got um They've got a section of the government called the Nudge Unit. It's colloquially called the Nudge Unit, but it's uh, the Behaviour Insights Team or something like that. They work on all the psychology of design and and getting messaging right. And it's not just design, but it's also copywriting and things like that. And they work on helping people uh, change their behaviours through design. Really interesting work. I've listened to a couple of podcasts about it, and that they I'd imagine they'd planned that iterative look and the iterative message to keep changing as the weeks went on so i i think the iterative process as as a design process and as a rebranding process has value on on both a level for somebody like facebook and also to help people understand a message a bit a bit more slowly to help them understand it
0: uh i I think i think you're you're very sort of optimistic there that Um, I've heard a story about a particular piece of communication that was being handled by um, a governmental department to a design uh, studio or design service provider. Uh, They'll remain uh, nameless. And it is a headless chicken um, that there is no one single person directing how to communicate because they don't even know what they need to communicate because the political position on certain things is so confused that the top level don't know um, what needs to be communicated. Um, So it's, it's, it's right down to the civil servants that are trying to feed back to design studios on what it is they need to communicate and then they're sending up the chain and it's getting sent back down the chain and it's this and it's this it's that there there is nothing governing this at all um and i think that it's it's i think that they're just um i i don't think there's a progressive thing it's like they don't know what to do and so they have to keep on changing the style it just looks like it's incremental Mm. um
1: that's often what design studios do as well, though, isn't
0: it? <laughs> I think design designers often get like a, a bad name for exploiting uh, difficult situations by making posters and t-shirts. Um, that w- when it comes to it, and in a way, we're all we're all kind of contributing in the in the way that we can. If it's donations on a book or a poster, there's still a kind of net benefit here. Um, But also the things like we're almost doing the job of the government in a sense of all of these coloring books or posters or products that have come from this situation have often been reiterating key governmental messages like staying at home. And I participated by placing it in my own zine is that we as graphic designers have found ways of almost asceticizing and making appealing and disseminating uh, things that are really important at this time um, it's not graphic design will save the world it certainly won't but in a way we participate in the distribution of key messaging right using different techniques so when you go to the park and you see the benches um, with their sort of uh, tape across them and then there's the mass message about social distancing and there's the icons and you look at the icons and and there's this sort of lack of immediacy to them um, uh, or sometimes they're just not even good enough to communicate the information to multicultural communities, right? That's where some people can't speak English and, and we're relying on semiotics or whatever. Um, and that designers essentially take these Ideas of, of, of um, uh, social distancing and, and washing our hands and we reconfigure them and productize them as a way of uh, making money, raising money for charity and reinforcing the message at the same time.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's what we're good at as designers, isn't it? Um, the it was the legendary keep calm thing, isn't there? Keep calm and carry on. That's, that's just... <laughs> that- be- that's, that's become a tra- perfect
0: example it's become Absolutely. a trend
1: it's become a trend and it's gone all the way back round. and it was actually for a, a, a real purpose at the very beginning and now it's just descended I, I, into I, something I, that designers hate
0: i i saw the original at uh it was i can't remember because i'm from up north it was in a they found it in a book in a second hand bookstore and they had the original <laughs> there um but i think that's the that's the beauty of when something transcends its original purpose and becomes culture. You can never, you never know whether you're living in it or whether something is culture at the time, usually sort of 20 years and you look back on it and say, okay, this is what it was. And um, although that keep calm and carry on thing has been productized and um, abused in many different ways, some horrifically, <laughs> some beautifully. That there's a truth to it. Uh, I think there's a truth to it that British people keep coming back to. It's like this uh, it's, it's, it's it is so appealing and it's appealing to me uh, as a, a visual but also as a, a, a verbal gesture. Uh, and I think it comes to light even more in, in these times. And at the moment, we're in, we're in a sort of um, meaning making. Moment, um, an epoch, if you will, that um, it's been defined right now by us staying at home, by all the visual communications that are happening right now, all of the things that designers are producing relating to this. Um, there are going to be thousands of artifacts in 120 and 200 years hopefully you can never quite tell what's going to make it i don't think the coloring books the covid coloring books are going to make it but there are going to be artifacts and they're going to tell us something about the time that we lived in um and and for me that's really really interesting as a designer i'm looking at all of the things designers are producing and i'm thinking i don't think that coloring book's going to make 20 years i think you know that <laughs> that's very much a product of now and it may get disposed of but there are other things um the, the the there are really interesting that i feel like are shaping us and and um or have real value or it's a, it's a book that tells us something of now or um i don't know it's just really exciting because you very rarely get to f- Feel and know your living history. Yeah, um, it's
1: Zoom, for example, that that's that'll become absolutely. something else entirely after this. This is basically they are now the Google. Their their name has been memed almost that their name is shorthand for having a video call. Are we going to have a, a Zoom call? That's the shorthand for it now. So they've probably made it in this time
0: and I just find that so so exciting. I didn't know Zoom before this, and now I know Zoom and I'm using it and it and it, in some ways it's liberating in some ways you see its flaws and its difficulties, but it's exciting and it it's just when you can see that direct relationship uh, uh yeah, I have no idea what the future will look like now, whereas you know four months ago, I could probably have told you what I would be doing in a year or what technology I'll be doing or I mean I try not to think that I'll be doing the same thing but the tracks have changed something has happened and I think that's sometimes necessary that um, we've lived in a very stable situation post-war and um, there have been frightening things that have happened. Um, it's it's like the, 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 the sort of attacks in Paris and the 9-11 you get those sort of um, graphic design gestures, you get a bit of charity productization, um, but they still have been fairly localized. Because this is so profound across so many different countries, each culture has its own response, its own material responses, its own ideas emerge from that. I've been listening to Slavoj Žižek talk about it um, from a philosophical point of view, that culture is definitely being produced right now. Um, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing it in 20 years time, looking back on it.
1: it yeah, it's, it's a fascinating time. It's, it's that idea of what things are going to become a meme as well, I, I think is, is, is really interesting. It's, that's, yeah, that's the stuff yeah. you can never figure out. The stuff like keep calm and carry on. Um, it does what it says on the tin, the Ron Seal thing, the, the phrase there, you, you can never work out things in history that are going to become a meme in in the future uh whilst you're living through through it but i think yeah there's definitely going to be a lot of it right now that we're we're living through
0: you're right about the memes is that individuals are smarter and more sensitive to the situation way more humorous than the big brands with advertising departments are and i think that's kind of frightening right that uh the memes are faster they're wittier than the car adverts
1: yeah well you've got to remember even the the big multi-campaigns the multi-million pound campaign put my teeth back in the multi-million pound campaigns come from somebody so even though the memes are more direct and they're easier to make and and they might potentially go viral and things like that I actually know the guy who did the it does what it says on the tin um <laughs> I, I, I know him quite well and He just he's the creator yeah the creator of the the phrase the creator of the legendary phrase now that everybody says and he says he just he he was just doing some packaging work for ron seal and he just written on the on the packaging it does what it says on the tin you know you just come up with these kind of almost lorem ipsum type phrases sometimes that you just write on things and he just wrote it on the packaging that he was designing And the marketing manager at the time just said, that's brilliant. And that was it.
0: It's the the individual agency uh, and capacity for observation and being able to clearly articulate it. Whereas if you have these big uh, advertising agencies and and group thing and um, you're sort of negotiating between advertising agency and um, top tier marketing in uh, the the. The corporation that you end up with all of those adverts that do exactly the same thing because it's like this is the safe thing to say that won't damage our brand. We can say it reminding people that we can, we still have cars to sell them, <laughs> but we don't look inhuman. Uh, whereas uh, if you have that individual advertising agent there that just comes up with something on his own uh, and the other person is just the person that actions it is just one person, you can get out quickly, uh, it resonates. Um, And I think that's where the meme-making thing comes in, is that there's an agency, uh, an individual, Well, that's what agency means, uh, individual um, sort of drive to do something, uh, that it can be more truthful and capture the moment, uh, whereas these bigger things, they, uh, struggle to really capture a, a truth or a feeling or a um or they they go back to exploiting this general um uh, emotional um provocations like pianos and um images of of, of multicultural multicultural communities it just looks like it it's uh, mechanical um it's yeah you know.
1: i think one of the most interesting visuals in fact uh, that's come from all this, particularly in the UK, is the "thank you NHS" thing. So,
0: oh yeah, 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 the rainbows.
1: Yeah, so that's culture. As far as, far as I'm aware, that's never been made officially by a designer, has it? No, no. That's,
0: that's just who knows what. That's just something. Not
1: documented. That's just something that's developed. Um, I don't know where it, it it came from, but now if you. If you go for a walk or anything and you see it in everybody's windows, you see the hand-drawn rainbow. And often you also see thank you spelt with a U instead of a Y-O-U. Um, and in a lot of the windows, it's thank letter u NHS" with the hand-drawn rainbow. And I don't know where that started, the visual and the whole campaign thing. But that's a really interesting visual that's developed out of all this and there's there'll be those kind of things in every other country as well i do hope somebody makes a book or something it'd be fascinating to look at
0: yeah I that's the other thing is 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 kind of uh safekeeping or trying to document something in its in its truest form um without any agenda without any uh, uh of course you <laughs> money helps sort of sustain things into the future right that uh no one's going to produce a book if they can't sell it but uh it is crucial that these things get documented um otherwise they kind of drift away in time right um yeah i think that that's a fantastic example um, maybe
1: that's your next project <laughs>